Rubber baby buggy bumpers. Hello, and welcome to the Never Heard of It podcast. I'm Craig Moorhead, and today I'm joined, as always, by... A much less creepy Sean Harwell. (laughs) I shouldn't say creepy, I should say sexy. A much less sexy Sean Harwell. And this is the podcast, as always, where we talk about the movies that have fallen through our cracks, and this week specifically, it's just my crack, and I know there's probably a million of you that have already heard of this movie. It's me. It's it's my fault this time. Craig, how are you? That's okay, Sean. That's okay. I'm I'm doing great, Sean. Uh, uh, I can't complain. Good. All is well in the world. How about you? How are you doing? I'm doing excellent. Also excellent, I think, is is our webpage. I mean, I just got to say that it's oh, neverheardpodcast.com. Come visit. Come say hello. You'll find links to everywhere that we are at Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, etc. Facebook. It's always nice to hear from you. Emails. We've gotten a few of those lately. Thank you. And we're going to get to some of your suggestions very, very soon. And I'm excited about that. I am excited about that, too. You know what else is very exciting? What's that? It's finding a movie that you you hadn't heard of. Yeah. But that you've always sort of wanted to see. And I feel like that's what we've done today. At least for you. Yeah. I had never heard of it. And you, I think, had always wanted to see it, right? Yes. I'd like to apologize for that segue. That was terrible. But, uh... Our movie today is 1991 movie called Johnny Swade, uh, written and directed by Tom DeSillo, starring Mr. Brad Pitt. Frank, Frank, how you doing, man? It's Johnny, it's Johnny Swade. Right. What's up? You look good. Your hair's different. No, man, no, it's the same. Well, something's changed. Maybe it's because you look so strung out. Yeah, I guess I am a little. I just. I had this fight with my girlfriend, man. But she stabbed you? No, no, that's just a scratch. You know. She threw a shoe at me, though, man. For no reason. Hey, man, I'd rather a girl fucking stab me than throw a shoe at me. Yeah, I know. It pissed me off so much. I, uh, you know, I did something kind of crazy, man. Sean, you hadn't heard of it. Correct. Or you had heard of it less, anyway, I guess. How did you feel about this, this film, overall? I wanted to like it more, Craig. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not going to tell any lies right up front, you know. I'm not going to, not here to bring down the Johnny Swade fan club. But it mm-hmm. didn't quite click through the entirety of its hour and a half for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you're at home listening to this right now, you can go check it out on Amazon Prime and watch all hour and a half of it. But here's the thing. Man, it's, it's hard not to get excited about something that has an, like basically an unknown Brad Pitt performance in a poster where he's in a bathtub with Catherine Keener and he's got a giant pompadour. Um, yeah. So my interest was peaked immediately. I'm glad I saw it. It lived up to the hair-defying qualities <laughs> that I hoped for with this movie. And mm-hmm. it, it, it serves as a really, really, really fascinating study case of where Brad Pitt started and how far he's come as an actor because I think it's it's significant and you know I think when the dude's career is all said and done we are really going to appreciate uh, and miss him I think you know and and the yeah. varied roles that he's played at this point in his life and also on the producing side and a lot of the smaller movies that he's helped get made such as 12 Years as a Slave first one that comes to mind immediately 
I think that's the reason to come see this thing. Just right off the bat. You know, it's a very, very 90s movie. We'll get into that. But mm-hmm. ladies, if you want to see young Brad Pitt walking around in his underwear with his hand yeah. down, down right up in his junk, this is the movie for you. Well, and also, uh, I think a plus for the ladies is he acts really dumb just like a real guy. <laughs> yeah, very dumb. Very you know I mean? terrible at relationships. And uh, yeah. I, maybe that's a little true to life. I don't mean to judge the guy. He's had some un, oh. some unlucky slots in the marriage world. Who knows who's to blame for that? Fair don't enough. know. But Fair maybe, enough. maybe you know, if you want to psychoanalyze things, maybe you look at this role and you find something to do there. <laughs> Maybe he always took his love life advice from this movie. And that was a mistake. <laughs> Terrible mistake. Craig, what did you think of it? And where had you heard about this and when? Well, you know what? I heard about this movie a long time ago. I remember seeing this. Uh, okay. Let's, let's go way back. Let's go. There was once a video store called Movie Max in Concord, North Carolina. Nice. I saw this box art on the shelf and and it was the same one that, that we had seen too it was him in the tub in the bathtub with with Catherine Keener said Johnny Swade yeah uh, didn't really yeah didn't really think much of whether it was Brad Pitt or not but his hair looked pretty funny those were kind of my prime Jarmouche David Lynch days mm-hmm. and I was just kind of feeling like wow that that what a that's probably a movie I should watch so that was probably 1992, 93. Gotcha. And I never watched it. <laughs> nope. This is the first time I've ever watched it. I have much softer feelings for this movie. Good. It started out, I was kind of worried, like maybe, you know, this was kind of one of those uh, 90s indie movies that was going to kind of disappear up its own butt. Yep. Uh, just <laughs> wanting to be strange and that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. And for me, it never did. And it has a lot to do with... Uh, I agree that like Brad Pitt has definitely come a long way as an actor. Yeah, but it, it's sort of like his abilities. I I feel like were perfectly cast here, kind of like Marky Mark and Boogie Nights. Agreed. Like it, what he is capable of, it is. This is a good movie for what he's capable of. He he has a very innocent look to him, and if he's lost in acting in the scene, it's perfect because he's lost in life. Mm-hmm. I think it hangs also together pretty well just a, just as a movie as a story it, it did pretty well for me it did not seem uh, o- overly long I think that's great to hear and why don't I do a quick synopsis for everybody so this is from Wikipedia Johnny Swade is a young man with an attitude and an immense pompadour who wants to be a rock and roll star like his idol Ricky Nelson he has all the stylistic accoutrements except a pair of black suede shoes one night after leaving a nightclub like manna from heaven a pair of black suede shoes falls at his feet soon afterwards the recently completed Johnny meets Darlette, a sultry bohemian with whom he beds down for the night. In spite of Darlette's abusive gun-toting boyfriend, Johnny begins to see Darlette every day. But when Johnny is forced to pawn his guitar for rent money, Darlette mysteriously leaves him. Johnny's pal Deke fronts him the money to get his guitar out of Hawk, and the two form a band. Depressed about Darlette's desertion, he wanders aimlessly, and he meets Yvonne, a woman much wiser than Johnny, who teaches him that there are things in life much more important than a pair of black suede shoes. I know somebody put some poetry into 
<laughs> into that yeah, synopsis. Honestly, that was one of the better synopsises is, is that we have listened to. Yeah. Because that, that. Well, you know, the IMDb had the short one. I was like, I don't know. I feel like they, they really, they really nailed it on Wikipedia yeah. this time. So I don't know whoever did that. Because the black suede shoes are very, very important. That is the ultimate visual motif yeah. of this movie. It figures into his problems, his solutions, and then very prominently at the at the end, which obviously mm-hmm. we'll get to, in, the, in, a, in a very pivotal argument with uh, Catherine Keener, who plays the Yvonne mm-hmm. character. And just give you a little bit of casting here. Um, the movie also stars Calvin Levels, who plays the best friend Deke, and Allison Moir, who plays the aforementioned Darnet, uh, Darlette, excuse mm-hmm. me, who... She is Australian, Craig, and uh, I don't know. There were times where I'm not sure if she was supposed to be Australian in this movie, but she was definitely sounding Australian. That accent was was tough to chase down. Yeah, it really was. Also, we have a very, very key and fun performance by none other than Nick Cave, um, who many of you may know from The Birthday Party or Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds or his own work as a film composer um uh, obviously he's a he's a man of myth a legend and he plays a character named freak storm in this who is uh <laughs> a, about as white as they uh, he looks like colonel sanders without the the glasses and just higher hair and whiter much whiter hair yep. but boy he's a lot of fun and he sings a little bit in this movie it was a great little great little moment i like that moment where he where he sings yeah, agreed i was born in a motel room then i did Just after one, he pulled a gun and blew the brains out of some poor slob. Now, Craig, I want to talk just briefly about the opening of this movie. The title credits, like, here's where, like, it started rubbing me the wrong way, just in from the word go. And I, I, I'm curious to know if this was noticeable wherever you were watching this. Basically, you have a title sequence that, the you know, you're seeing the credits over the camera moving sort of slowly tracking horizontally over just kind of close-ups of uh, suede fabric, right? Different colors yeah. as well. But it, like it, the, the movement, at least on my screen and streaming it from my Roku, like it wasn't smooth. Like it was, <laughs> it was no. noticeably jarring. I don't know. Did you pick up on that too? It was, and and so was the entire movie. Okay, I, that's what I'm saying. I, I think that might be a transfer issue. Yes. Because we should point out Tom DeSillo was Jim Jarmusch's cinematographer on Stranger Than Paradise. Big breakthrough. Yeah. Also, Coffee and Cigarettes a little bit later. I don't think he shot this movie himself, but I was like, there's no way. Like, how, how could he let that fly? Like, it's very weird. You know what? It, it definitely is a transfer thing, and... And it's general, basically, yeah, somebody transferred it poorly, changing it from 24 frames a second to the 29.97 video See, I knew, you knew, I knew you knew this stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I've, I, I've, I've seen it before. I've, Lord knows I've done it before. But, yeah, I'm really surprised they let that transfer go in there. We should, I should report that. We should. Um, Let's get it taken yeah, down. Because it's, it's, it's pretty annoying to watch watch it that way, and it shouldn't be that way at all. But yeah, especially when when it opens with these smooth, you know, otherwise smooth camera moves, it's hard enough to figure out what's going on without, yeah. Right, and then we're we're kind of immediately thrown into. I mean, I, I think the movie for the most part, this is a very very small low budget thing, right? I mean, mm-hmm. we're talking yeah. at most like four real locations in a way. I mean, yeah. most of them are, are apartments too. You get a glimpse of Brad Pitt's the Pompadour, like 
checking himself out in the mirror, styling himself. I think it opened at the club. Yeah. And when I say club, I don't know what the <laughs> what's going on in this place. <laughs> but again, you really only get like maybe three angles of this club. I don't even remember seeing the bar itself. You know, you you sort of yeah, you no. see where they're standing at the bar. You don't see the other side of the bar where like the bottles would be. <laughs> and maybe that was right. just like, oh, we can't afford to like we have to turn all the labels or something. You know, I, I sympathize. I sympathize. I understand that. Uh, but Pitt is there. I, I, you get the sense that that's like the regular hangout, right? Darlet yeah. is there. Did you notice that there are people that are wearing like white beanies on their head? I did not. You didn't notice that? Okay. I did not. No, I did okay. not notice white beanies. People listening, watching this in the clubs, notice if there are people, like there's people wearing like white little beanie things on their head. At first I thought uh, maybe this is like a religious thing. I don't think it is though. I don't think it is because I think you get a wide sector. Of anyway, it's there. It's a, it's a very interesting club. I do, I do not know how to like put it into a, a specific corner of like... Oh, this is like an electronic dance music club kind of like place. Or right. It's not. It's not really a rockabilly club. There's not rockabilly music being played. Although it's definitely not. No. Yeah. Although this is where Pitt hangs out, and this is where Nick Cave hangs out. So both of them are fronting this rockabilly, like '50s teen idol, but gone too far kind of aesthetic. You know. Right, and then I think you know, yeah, we get to see the apartment. Wait a second, right? Wait a second. I I, I hate to interrupt you. No, right no, now. no. I was just establishing our locations, but go ahead. The reason I'm breaking in is because I wanted to understand these beanies, so I brought up the movie right now, and I'm looking at it. Yeah, beanies, Sean, or are people wearing underwear on their head? Because a few of these things look like they have leg holes in them. <laughs> I hope that's the case. I really, really hope that's the case. I just was distracted by it, but not enough to notice yeah. the leg holes. If anyone watches this after listening, please weigh in. Because yeah. it kind of looks like underwear. Okay, I'm sorry. No, that's fine. Please I mean, that's good to know. And also, you know, we should probably say we were not in the clubs in New York in the very early 90s. So maybe this is just like a thing. True. I hope so. Yeah, they, I think they shot this movie in Brooklyn, and God knows, like you know, trends come and go in there. Williamsburg, I mean, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. like the heartbeat of the American pulse right now. So they were probably ahead <laughs> of the time. Um, but yeah. yeah, so that that's the that's one of our key locations. Uh, you get Pitt's apartment, which, I mean, that is a shithole. Like it is. Yeah, the walls are blue and crumbling. He writes on them again. Like there's no furniture. You're only treated to a couple varying angles in this place. I mean, for all I know, mm -hmm. like it, it definitely does not feel like a set, but it could have been like a very cheap set. Yeah. And then there's also like a coffee shop that he goes to with a friend Deke frequently. And um, once again, super low budget. Like you're, you're only getting yeah. a few things there. And then, those are those are mostly the interior locations. You know, you go here and there, but there's a lot of exterior stuff. And I will say this: I kind of love the look of the outside of this movie, the outside world. Yeah, it's almost hard to place as New York City. I mean, especially today, like it looks nothing like that. I mean, it, this place looks like it's falling down. There's trash everywhere, and it's not like the New York City yeah. a taxi driver. For a second, I was like, is this no. like Philadelphia or Baltimore? Like, it feels like a in some ways, it feels like a John Waters kind of Baltimore world yeah. a little bit. I did really like the location 
use in this movie, which is a weird thing to just kind of <laughs> fixate on for something that's super yeah. tiny and there's nothing. I mean, there's absolutely nothing pretty or like um, luxurious about any of these locations. I mean, in fact, there's a scene later in jumping around a lot, but where Pitt and his buddies like form this band and they practice out of a warehouse you can literally see the breath on these actors. And oh, yeah. clearly it's not CGI, you know. One of whom, if I didn't say before, is Sam Jackson on the upright bass in the one scene that he's in uh, as a character a nice named surprise. Bebop, which just felt totally right. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah. so I think you're right. You know, we talked a little bit about, for me, I, I did love that all of these things, I think, add up to a feel for an independent movie that we don't see a lot of today. Like you just don't yeah. see this much stuff like that with that kind of like backdrop and really, really reduced locations and angles, but kind of have this like, you know, indie cachet of, of having a Catherine Keener and a Brad Pitt and some of that, you know, involvement. Um, yeah, yeah. It just feels like that, that world has disappeared a little bit. Well, and also it has, and I, I feel like this is a, a, a 90s thing more than now but like it has a very it has a light comic feel to it it's not necessarily laugh out loud funny no it's certainly somewhat outside the realm of of reality hands down yeah but it's yeah but it's not like like now i feel like the indie movies are this would be deadly serious about a deadly serious musician who is deadly serious about doing you know like it wouldn't it wouldn't quite be this uh, light. Yeah, I'd say, or the um, opposite. It would be really quirky comedy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There was something just about, that, like, this is just out there, like, enough. Um, without just, yeah, totally leaving the planet. Um, well, and I should say, I, I think... My problem with all these movies we we watch whenever I have problems, it's usually tonal inconsistencies. And I think sure. that that's the case here. You know, it, it was a little bit harder for me to kind of come on board with that. But I do think you're right. I mean, like in hindsight, it's probably more a product of its time in that regard. And maybe I needed to adjust my perception a little bit. But yeah, I mean, you get some, some intense kind of verbal painful arguments between especially yeah. between Keener and Pitt I understood much less the kind of motivations and ebbs and waves of the uh, Brad Pitt Darlette relationship and we can get yeah. all that but um, yeah I, I think for me like honestly like that my biggest complaint was just like kind of having a hard time of, of pinning the tone down and I think this is interesting that you brought up Lynch and we'll get to the story in a second, but <laughs> I do think like, yeah, like I, I was watching this and I, I thought of David Lynch as well, because, you know, he, I think also in Jarmusch, you know, too, to a degree, they do sort of like dig on that kind of like fifties vibe, you know, especially Lynch, sure. you know, that stuff is like drenched throughout a lot of his movies and like, and yet there's like a magnetism in the weirdness of David Lynch that I think is missing in this, right? It do, like it's like you were saying, mm-hmm. like it doesn't really commit to that non-reality as much as a David Lynch movie. Yes, it is really interesting psychologically to think about someone who would, for all intents and purposes, 
is basically deciding I'm just going to kind of live in the past, you know, in a past yeah. I wasn't even born in, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is crazy. Yeah. I mean, that's sort of crazy. Like, you know, to dress up in a rockabilly suit and do your hair like this every single day, like to commit yeah. to that is a very interesting lifestyle choice. <laughs> yes. And so I think, you know, it, it certainly is an interesting foundation to do something that goes into kind of like non-reality. Um, Agreed. Wh- how do you feel about some of those kind of like sequences? Like, I mean, there's a very early one where he kind of envisions himself as a Ricky Lee or Ricky Nelson character in a sort of Ed Sullivan esque black and white theater, getting ready to play a song and and kind of win over this teenage girl crowd. Like he's, I want to be a teenage idol. He's singing the song at the start. Yeah. Do you make any sort of heads or tails over the psychology of of the Brad Pitt character, who is? Johnny Swade. Yeah, my thing is he he has he, he's so much surface, mm-hmm. and there's nothing in there. There just seems to be nothing inside that that sort of he wants to be inside. Like he's projecting this thing of like, I'm a musician. He is not a musician. No, or at least he's not he's he's not good yet. You could say that. I mean, he like his songs are terrible. They're supposed to be terrible. The song but, with the band wasn't like that wasn't that bad when they played the full band rehearsal in the warehouse, you know? It wasn't that bad. That's true. And that's what everyone said about the Beatles. <laughs> no, um <laughs> No, but uh but but that's the thing, like, you know, like he, he looks like a successful rock and roll star. Yeah. Because he's got the look and he's got the pose and he's got all this stuff. But then he's kind of not inside. And then every time he has a conversation he's he's constantly telling people stories that didn't actually happen to make things sound you know more exciting or just to flat out cover up things he doesn't want to tell people Mm -hmm. so he's very much trying to project this image because i just i I just sort of assume yeah he does not like himself that much and i and i kind of feel like i kind of feel like that starts to come out toward the end and i feel like maybe there could have been a little more connection with that but like I, i i felt fairly satisfied with like that's that whole persona is getting punctured and he's kind of just sort of getting tired of pretending yeah i feel like he does cross a line and i want to talk to you about this later he he crosses a certain line for himself that that appears to be one of the few honest things he's you know a few things he's been honest about Mm mm-hmm and I feel like after that point, like things kind of spiral for him in terms of being Johnny Swade. Yeah, and it's it's an interesting portrayal because he's not a one hundred percent likable character. I mean, I would even like not even like seventy no. percent, like if that. I mean, in some ways, yeah, no, he's a jerk. He's a bit entitled and like above going to do an honest day's work painting you know, a, mm-hmm. an apartment that Deke is like kind enough to, to get him on board and split the, the money on when he desperately, I mean, he's broke as a joke. Like this dude has no yeah. money. He has to hawk his guitar. Like we mentioned in the synopsis, a very, very early scene. He's, he's contemplating robbing the barber shop across the street, you know, with a gun. And, uh, I think you're right. Like part of me was like waiting to see that kind of all come crashing down and like to 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 feel that but then it 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 just takes like different turns here and there one thing that was interesting that i noticed um from the i am dibba page about Mm. this in the trivia uh tom de the director 
who is is credited even by Harvey Weinstein as as being the guy that found Brad Pitt, basically. Um, You know, he insisted on casting him. There was a producer that was much more interested in getting Timothy Hutton, but this says, ironically, DeSillo was ultimately dissatisfied with Pitt's portrayal of Johnny as being slow or stupid instead of just childish. How does that sit with you, the slow or stupid tag? And again, this could be complete hogwash. I don't know. It's, it's, on, it's on the internet, so there it is. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I did read the thing about him, about the casting, and where, where, where Pitt was like the next to the last guy or yeah. something that they brought in. Um, but so wait, so he's saying that he would have preferred Brad play him in a different way, not slow and stupid? It sounds like... That's the idea? Yes. He thought of him as a childish man. Right. And that Brad played him a bit more slow and stupid, <laughs> and those are in quotes. So, yeah. Well, I mean, if assuming that's a real quote, I guess a part of me feels like asking, "What's the difference?" In a way, yeah. Not that I don't like kids. There's one very specific scene that I think you could point to and say that Brad played as as stupid or very uninformed mm-hmm. and naive, and that is the scene where he's in bed with Catherine Keener and she shows him where on the body to touch her, basically. Yeah. But I, I can't imagine that that was not written any other way. But I guess that's that's kind of why I, I kind of wonder, like, in, in a way, what is the difference? How right. do you play that where differently? Where do you define because, the line? Yeah. Because, I mean, how many guys the age of Johnny Swade have no idea where a, where a clit is? <laughs> I mean, just no idea. And they're not going to ask because they don't want to look stupid. Right. But they're stupid. Like, I don't know. Like, honestly, like that rang true enough for me that that, that made it an enjoyable scene. Because he starts to get all upset when she when she says something about it. It's like you're, it's like you're picking watermelon seeds. Watermelon seed. Yeah, that was a great line. <laughs> and I, I got to say, I, like, I like, actually, the slow and stupid side of, of the performance, I think, too. You yeah. Know? And, like, it makes me think of... I really liked Brad Pitt in Burn After Reading where he played a complete nincompoop, you know, and like yeah. just dove yes. into it. You know, I think um, in a way I wouldn't have minded more of that. I think it made it kind of like funny and endearing in a weird way. And this this brings me back to the Marky Mark thing. Okay. Because cause I, I feel like they do the same thing. I, I feel like with a different actor, I don't know, how, how do I say this? With a different actor, it would have been like, it would have been like they were making fun of slow, stupid people. Yeah. But with him... There's honestly, and maybe it's just his face, but there's just, there, there is sort of an innocence about him that to me makes the slow and stupid like, okay, well, that's just, that's just real. I, I don't know. He's sort of refusing to learn and be smart, but mm-hmm. like it sort of works. And, and in a weird way to me, it's endearing that as much as he postures, he's so clearly stupid. <laughs> like, I, and I kind of like that. It's, I mean, it's almost the Will Ferrell thing. Yeah, and it's also, I mean, because honestly, like, look at the guy. Look at the hair. Like, are you supposed to think right. anything other than that? I mean, right. I don't know. It's interesting. I also think, too, like, the rest of the cast isn't exactly falling into boxes of recognizable human behavior, you know? True. I mean, the Darlette character kind of drove me crazy because... Yes. You get the sense, I mean, she. I think she's in that first scene at the club, you know, and they're kind of making eyes at each other, and then they talk later, and you find out that, like, her boyfriend has been beating her, and that doesn't sit right with Johnny, and, you know, eventually they, they kind of hook up very quickly, but, man, it takes no time whatsoever for her to be like, 
Well, so you know, the the ex boyfriend would used to do this and that, and like, and like, she's talking about him like extremely positively, like clearly trying to make Johnny jealous or just yeah. feel inferior. And he's like, yeah, but he hit you, and so I I didn't know what to kind of make of her. Like in in a weird way, she felt almost more detached from reality than he does. You know, um, agreed. Like she's all over the map, and then there's that scene where she takes him to meet her mother and this is after they've already kind of like had an, an argument and the mom is sort of hitting on Brad and then they then they hook up and then you know the next morning not the mom and Brad Darlette and Brad you know have sex and then the next morning like she gets completely mad at him over something and breaks it off entirely <laughs> I was like yeah. wait what did I miss something here like who is this woman I do not like her and I don't yeah. understand her um so, no. and and I was worried at that point. Yeah, uh, because uh, the only other maybe I'm not totally correct about this, but I feel like the only other female character that's played a part in the movie up until that point is a woman who seems to be getting raped in an alley. Yeah, who by the way like, got and a that's, credit and that's pretty in much the movie. Where we start out. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's how we start out. Where Brad Pitt does not do anything to stop that. And I mean, I guess it's 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 sort of vague as to whether or not this is a prostitution type situation, but I'm pretty sure she's drugged. Pretty sure. And it's like happening like in one of those like you see all the time in movies that are set in New York. You know, you've got one building and then there's another building and then there's a little bit of fence and there's space between the two buildings. Right. Yeah. And there's like a pile of cinder blocks. <laughs> and so yeah. you know, like this is happening on like a pile of broken cement, the cinder oh, so, blocks. Yeah. There's a dude on top of it. There's another guy there. It's like. It's okay. It's what she wanted, you know, or something. She's into it, man. Come on. You know, it's very weird, creepy scene. It is. For his part, Johnny Swade does go to the phone booth and calls, True. which I think is the police. It's like, there's something funny going on over here. And that's when the the uh, hat box falls on top of the, the phone booth, which I love that shot. I thought that was actually like a really nice moment. Loved it. Cut well. Yeah. And then he finds the black suede shoes in the box there. And but, it felt like one of those, uh, to me, I wish I could explain it better, but it felt like one of those 90s movies things that would happen. Yeah, for sure. Like that barn falling out of the sky in my own private oh, yeah. Idaho or something. Oh, you know. God, I love that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I will say, like, as much as I was like, I don't like this title sequence and this club feels weird, that moment had me hooked in. I'm like, okay, this yeah. is not at all meant to be real. There's there's stranger things happening in this world, and somebody's just sent him black suede shoes. Okay, where are we going from here? Um, I was kind of locked in at that moment. I thought that kind of stuff was, was pretty cool. As far as other female characters, yeah, the Catherine Keener character, I mean, she's like a, a 180 from all of that in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Like, she's almost hyper real. How would you describe her hair, uh, Craig? <laughs> yeah, that was... Because it's, it's not exactly dreadlocks. No, it's like like a month away from being dreadlocks. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And, and then and it's never that way again. So it was like just no. something she did that day. Uh-huh. I mean, you know, maybe I'll just maybe I'll just go ahead and just call it '90s hair. Yeah, I was gonna say it's got like an a, a, an early Alanis Morissette 
Yeah, some or like a four non blonde sort of thing. Four non blondes, a little bit in there. Yeah, definitely. I liked um, your introduction. How about that scene? Yeah, I, I, I like that scene a lot. <laughs> we should talk about that scene. She's walking up the stairs uh, after getting off the subway, and Brad Pitt is behind her and what appears to be a child dressed up as a cowboy who's using an antenna pole to lift up her skirt as they're walking up the steps, unbeknownst to Catherine Keener. Right. And then Brad, he accosts this young fella and his spurs. Was it a young fella or was it a was it a Well, dwarf? that's the thing. The young fella falls and lands on the ground and you get the sense that, oh, maybe this is actually just a little person. Gotcha. Right? Like an adult. Catherine Keener's just pissed because she didn't know what the hell he was doing beating up a kid. And then yeah. they have their conversation. This is probably happening halfway through the movie. Yeah, you know, it's a yeah. fair about that's about right. Yeah. So I, I had drifted in and out a little bit prior to that. <laughs> and so some of the early setups of that relationship, beyond that scene, which is a pretty great scene, are st- a little vague to me. But can I, the real question I have with her character, Craig, mm-hmm. what does she like about Johnny? And I hate, I hate even saying that because I feel like that's the note that I would get anytime I turn in a screenplay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I do think it... it it's worth raising here. Well, I guess if anything got me over that particular hump, it's that he mentioned that her underwear was white with blue rabbits on it. That'll do it. Yeah. And well, but, but <laughs> I, like that, that felt like a turning point in that scene where she didn't believe that he had actually, that, that she, she thought he just threw a kid down the stairs. Yeah. Which so, is hilarious. Yeah. Which yeah, which is just so great. <laughs> but the, but then once he says like you know well he saw her underwear for some reason that feels like a turning point for her at least. She's like oh well maybe this guy really did step up for me. Mm-hmm. And then she's got this nerdy cat across the street Yvonne. calling out her name. Yvonne. Yeah, Yvonne. Yeah. <laughs> and He's holding like a hamster cage or something too. Did you notice that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's just, just like just like there, so there's random. there's a story going on there. You don't get any. I know. Back. I loved it though. It was nice. It was a nice little. Detail. I like it too. So, but but I see. I, I feel like that note would still stand. Mm-hmm. So then she goes into a freezing cold warehouse to listen to him play music. Yeah. And I can't imagine that music like cements anything for her. I know. I don't. I don't even think she was that impressed. Was she? <laughs> no. No. She definitely wasn't. Like she. She was trying not to. Yeah. Not to hurt his feelings, which which again sort of makes it feel like she is very interested in him. Mm-hmm. But I mean, he is Brad Pitt. Yeah. So he's a good looking guy. Sure. He's certainly interesting. But yeah, you don't know. Honestly, you don't know anything about her. That's kind of the weakness, maybe. Like that you have no idea why she would be attracted to him. I was going to say, actually, I mean, right now, just you saying that I would probably prefer to see an entire movie that was about their relationship and just get rid of yeah. the Darlette stuff entirely. Could because have, she's yeah. she's kind of fascinating. I mean, later on when you, when they are in the tub and like the scene, the shaving scene that's on the poster. You know, I wrote down that she says like I love you. Like that's she says that to him, and he just kind of says thanks. Thanks. You know. Yeah. And prior to this, you know, he's sort of wrestling with the fact that he, I guess, somewhat had his heart broken by Darlette, and so yeah. you know he's getting advice from Deke and. Ba- <laughs> Oh, oh God, I love yes. that stuff. It's like, what? should you move in with her? Should you not move in? She's got a color TV, but, you know, and then you can't do what you want to do. And, you know, he's basically 
you can't put yourself out there. Don't let her know how much you like her because that's, you know, going to come back. She'll just, that's the moment she'll leave you, you know? Yeah. And, you know, Catherine Keener's not that. Like, she's an adult. So right. that shit doesn't play. Like, in fact, there's a moment way earlier where she's like, I just get the feeling that, you know, it's obvious to me that there's nothing about me that you like. And I was like, Jesus, like, that's what a, what a horrible thing to have to say to anybody that you're interested in. Yeah. All that stuff is great. But again, like it felt, I mean, it very much feels like two halves in some ways as far as the relationship stuff in this movie. Yeah. Maybe we should get to the end just a little bit because, again, I think the last half of this movie is really about that relationship. You know, he goes back over to her and is basically saying, I'm sorry. I think that's the last line in the movie. And I don't know. What do you do? You have a sense of, of, is that a, uh, I'm sorry, and now we can be together for the rest of eternity. Kind of, kind of vibe from from old Johnny there. You know, his hair has been taken down, and he's been humbled, and yeah. uh, his shoe is being left driven on the top away. of a car and <laughs> driven away. So clearly, that uh, I think that teen idol fantasy is is gone out the window at this point. Um, yeah. Do you have hope for him and Yvonne? Not really, and and that's that's kind of the tough thing. Like it certainly feels <laughs> yeah. like. So that's the end, and no matter what, he's sort of deciding, okay, I'm going to be, I don't know if this is too corny, but it's like, I'm going to be me, and it's, it kind of feels like he's just starting to realize who he is. I think that's right. I think that's a very fair yeah, assessment. And, you know, because sometimes that can be a really hard thing to get to. Sure. And so, and so yeah, so I feel like, like him saying I'm sorry in that way is good. But the scene previous to that, they they went after each other physically. Oh man! She yeah. threw a shoe at him, and like at least scra- gave him a real good scratch, and he walloped her in the stomach. Yeah. So it's an intense scene. I mean, it, it like yeah. you know, for her side of things. I mean, Catherine Keener, like you definitely believe it. Like she's been hurt, and yeah, like she's coming and, out because he cheated on her basically. Right, and yeah, and he cheated on her, which is also awful. And then that leads mm-hmm. to a fight where he hits her. And one of the few things we know about him that's true is that he's against that sort of thing. Yeah, but also um, you don't throw shoes at him because you know how much that's he likes true shoes. too. <laughs> that's true too. I'm he not has saying a thing about having shoes thrown at him. She was asking for it. Okay, let's don't read no, between no, no, the no. lines. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, but, but yeah, a, I mean, it's an intense scene. I mean, it really is. Yeah. It, it it's definitely an intense scene, and I guess the thing is, and this is this is really probably looking at it, um, you know, from I mean, it's, it's a twenty six year old movie now. Yeah. At, at that time, I could have accepted a movie where he came back and really sincerely begged her for forgiveness, uh-huh. and it would feel like everything's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. But to me, he cheated on her, and he beat her. <laughs> That's two strikes. Yeah. That's, and then that's... he creeps back into her apartment uninvited <laughs> yeah. and says, I'm sorry. And and like none of that is treated creepily and she doesn't seem freaked out at the end. But like those three things in conjunction, like now if I watched a movie that just came out and had that, I'd be like, that's not okay. That dude, you need to get a restraining order. Yeah. So, yeah I feel I'd like be worried. she could do better. I mean, I'll, I'll say yeah. that. I'll put that out there. I feel like Catherine yeah. Keener, you could probably do a little bit better. But um, yeah, like it takes yeah. a little bit more to to to. I don't know, make up for all that. Yeah. But, uh, it's an interesting resolution. It, it, it's certainly an interesting resolution, and it doesn't promise any anything. But, yeah, I mean, you would think that because the suede shoe is being driven away, 
that that really is the end of all his posturing. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he can kind of face himself. And maybe if he can face himself, Sean, maybe they can be in love. Maybe. Who's who's to say? Who's to say? I'm not going to so, close the book of love. I do, And yeah. I will, I'd like to, to say I think both of those actors played that scene very well. They really did. Mm-hmm. They were very fun to watch. And I would also like to say that I love Catherine Keener. She's the best. Anytime she's in any movie, she is the best. Sean. Yeah. Is, do you have a specific highlight from the movie? A time when you felt like this thing is really firing on all cylinders. Maybe you just told us. I think it might be in that area when he first meets Yvonne and the band is, is together. And some of that, I, I liked some of that stuff, I think. Yeah. Because, again, the Darlette thing never clicked for me. Mm-hmm. I wasn't quite sure what it was. I like the Deke character. I like some of those scenes when it's just him and Deke. I, I thought those yeah. were kind of okay. Even though, like, yeah, like the advice stuff and all that. I mean, it's just terrible. <laughs> so bad. Like, they should know yeah. better. They're old enough to know better. Um, mm-hmm. I will say there's a very, like, a good solid joke, I thought, that happened towards the end that I wrote down that I think is worth repeating. Yes. And that's uh, Brad Pitt goes into the club that he's always gone into. And there's a bartender, I think, who says, what are you going to have? And he says, what's on the house? And the bartender says, shingles. You know? <laughs> yeah. Solid. I mean, that's a solid, solid. joke and a punchline. I had never heard that before. It worked. That was solid. The Nick Cave freak storm scene, the big one, that oh, takes yeah, place that just outside on a random, like... Like a courtyard sort of thing like in the middle of some apartment yeah, dilapidated apartments there's like yeah. a office swivel chair and nick cave has a bag of chicken and it's just all over the map as far as like well, i'm gonna help you but give me 20 dollars. and then he gets mad at him and then he sings part of a song and tells him he can have it that scene it felt uh there was one key moment where i was like okay they're in, they're improvising a little bit here or at least like i felt like there was a time where Nick Cave started one of his lines and then Brad Pitt said something and then he repeated it. He's just like started over again. I was like, okay, they just left that in because it, it felt natural and nice. And uh, I liked that. I mean, I, I can't wrap my head around the Nick Cave character per se. There's right. really not a lot there to sort of discern. But um, that scene, yeah, it's a lot of fun on its own for sure. And... You know, I like the music. I mean, I think that there's there's some cool tunes yeah. in there. Uh, I like Link Ray, who did uh, a bunch of the additional music. And, you know, if you know the Rumble, which is one of the best instrumental guitar songs ever recorded. Agreed. Uh, it, it's fantastic. And so there's a lot of that stuff going on in this thing. If you're a fan of that at all, I'd say check that out for that. But I don't know. I think those are my highlights. Just little things like that. What about you, Craig? Like that? The the one that stuck with me that I thought was really well performed outside of the the fight at the end uh, was Deke and um, Johnny Swade going through the pros and cons of moving in with Catherine Keene. Yeah, <laughs> and funny. I mean it's 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 just played so well. Like there <laughs> like there's zero conflict between the two guys. Yep, and they're both saying some of the dumbest stuff, mm-hmm. but they're both like so like serious about it. And just yeah. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's got a color TV. And he's like, you know what? She always has like nuts and crackers around that you can eat. Snacks. And, yeah. and, and Deke says, yeah, yeah, we'll call those snacks. And like <laughs> yeah. writes that on there. And like, 
I mean, just the way those guys played it was yeah. so beautiful. Like, I love that guy. I think I think both of them were good. Yeah. Um, and then and then the other thing, which honestly, Sean, I didn't even follow. And I'm going to ask you if you have something better for me. I, like, I have an idea what this was all about. But okay, well, go because I was going to follow up with. We should talk a little bit about just the weirdness in the movie. But go ahead because okay. this well, is clearly well, yeah. going to get into that. It sounds like. Sure. Well, he, yeah. So here's a little bit of the weirdness. Twice in this movie, Brad Pitt looks at a window mm-hmm. and it smashes. It just like explodes. Slow motion. What was that about? No idea. Um, no, no clue whatsoever. I mean, it would make more sense if it's a mirror, right? I think we could draw a pretty easy sure. thematic line there. Yeah. But it's not. It is definitely a window to the outside world. Mm-hmm. And in one particular moment, I think the first time it smashes, he is lying on his mattress on the floor. And there's just a large iguana walking around the room. And the iguana walks over. And uh, I, I, yeah, I don't I, It's I like don't about know. to crawl on his head or something and then mm-hmm. uh, smash Ola. And then the second time, was that in Yvonne's place or no? Yeah, they were in bed. Uh-huh. Hmm. Hmm. Was this pre or post watermelon seed picking? <laughs> I think it's post. Okay, and it might have even been post. Post, I love you. I mean, it's, it's a real violent breaking of glass, and you never yeah. see anyone fixing a window. So I'm not even sure it actually happened in the story. Okay, well, my weird question for you is, and not in Please. this, I'm sure it was explained, but I, I again, I, I probably just tuned out for just a little bit. Who was the man? that took the picture of him on the street and then was seen looking at Brad from the adjacent like apartment building. You know what I'm talking about? Guy? The guy in the suit. Yeah. That's I mean, like out. when I say, yeah, flipped out. When yeah. he, uh, when he's taking, and that guy's been in a ton of movies, by the way, I looked at oh, oh, you mean who's the actor? No, no, no. Oh, what is what, the character? Like explain that again to me. Well, that was, that was the boyfriend of what's her face? Wasn't it? Yes. Like, well, why did he take the picture and everything? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. Well, well, you know, that that's the thing is like, yeah, so she came out, she said, he beats me, he's jealous. And then the next thing you know, they're sharing her. Yeah. And then when we finally meet him, he doesn't seem violent whatsoever. No. Like, he, he it, it literally seems like, like, yeah, he's he's fine with that. Like, he's an older guy. Older dude. And he's like, he's just happy someone in pretty is hanging around, maybe. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I see what you mean. Um. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't, I don't know why he would take his picture. It's certainly never explained later. <laughs> He's just a hobby of him being a photographer. Yeah, yeah. that's okay. Um, People take pictures. You know. Although, Johnny Swade is certainly someone who would like to have his picture taken a lot, probably. Yeah. So maybe there's some kind of no one else is taking his picture, but the boyfriend of a girl that he used to date <laughs> does. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. No, that's a good one. That's a good um, one. That's mainly, I mean, there's. I feel like there's other weird stuff that I'm just, like, forgetting. Well, now, there's he, the one where it, it turned out to be a, a dream sequence. But there's oh, the one yeah. great bit where he's, like, apologizing to Catherine Keener in a diner, and it pans over, and there's just an old naked guy sitting at the yes. yep. diner front. And I'm <laughs> like, what was that? And then it's immediately, it's like, oh, no, he's just sort of daydreaming. Dream. I said, oh, okay. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Now, um... The very early Ed Sullivan kind of fantasy thing 
I was somewhat bothered by the fact that in that fantasy, like he just talks. He yeah. just like is talking to us. He doesn't. He's got the guitar right there, but he doesn't actually play anything because like moments later, you see him playing. Like you say, like he's kind of terrible. Like when he's just by himself. Yeah. Especially early on, I'm just like, why? Why would his fantasy not be about like that success or just like wooing the crowd with his his yeah. tunefulness? I don't know. Just a, a, I, one little weird thing there. Well, no, you know, I mean, that that's a good question, and I kind of wonder, like, does he actually care about music at at all? Yeah, I don't know. That's yeah, because he certainly I, gets I, defensive when Darlette is not really feeling the records he's putting on, but right, you know. That's true. I mean, he he definitely he definitely loves listening to music. The question is, like, how serious is he? It seems like he's not that serious about music. It's, it seems like he's serious about looking like a rock star. Yeah, which I and, think is kind of more interesting in a way. Yeah, that's why I dress the same way. That's why yeah. you dress the same way. I, that's I mean, why I, I dress the a, exact a same recent way. photo of you because <laughs> do not recall this. One line that I liked, um, speaking of dress, because this sort of fits into the mindset of a character who would dress like this. Brad Pitt does say, I wrote this down, uh, I'm not into now. Now is a fly's fart in the wind. Which oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, you got to have that line in there because, yeah, I mean, that this guy is way more interested in the past. That yeah. was very nice. Oh, I just thought of what I was going to ask. Yes. The ultimate question, where did the shoes come from? Yeah. Are, are people just bestowed with shoes? Did Freakstorm get his boots? Ooh. Also, like, is it just like you need these boots for a while? Well, Freakstorms would have been white, right? Johnny's are black. I guess so. I don't know. We'll never know. That's a good question. I mean, it's, it's sort of... Uh, and why... That was the other thing. Why do those shoes appear when they do? Yeah, because they probably prevented the completion of the call to the police that might have saved the woman who was being date raped. Yes. So the shoes ultimately are to blame for whatever happened to that woman. Which means it's a good thing that they're gone at the end. I maybe so, the whole yeah. point is he shouldn't have paid attention to the shoes at all. Yeah, maybe that woman's okay. Uh, maybe we're all okay, Sean. <laughs> I don't know that we are. I do not no. know that we are. Um, I guess not. Craig, one little interesting thing that I found today... And unfortunately, you know, I think we're maybe a year late to this because apparently this movie showed up on Netflix in, two th well, maybe two years now, in 2015. And to Tom DeSillo's surprise, there were like eight minutes of Link Ray music missing, right? Yeah. And I don't know if you saw this article, it's Hollywood Reporter. He was furious and found out that Miramax um, at the time had not cleared the rights. But they apparently they were very helpful, and Netflix was as well. And Tom actually re-edited the movie. He took about seven minutes out. It says he took a voiceover out. Yeah. That I don't remember. Was there a voiceover in the version on Amazon Prime? There was at the very beginning. Okay. Do you He's think talking that's about some it, some people say they envy me or or something like that. Okay. Yeah. I just it didn't stick with me, and I I mean. You know, he sounded, uh, you know, the quote is from DeSillo. It's like he took it out and, it, you know, it had been added by Harvey Weinstein. And he's like, it just, you know, this has distilled and improved the, the film so much and blah, 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 blah. So I'm running this thing on my computer. Yeah. You know what? 
It's funny. I watched this with captions. I think it is cut out, but the captions are for the old version. What? Did we just find another no, no, Amazon? No, no, okay. no, no, no. He, he's, he's singing lyrics. That's what it is. He's okay. singing lyrics. It's, it's, it's not a voiceover at all. Okay. So, yeah, I, I think this is the new version because there, there seemed to be plenty of Link Ray in there. But I, I, the, the version on Amazon is an hour and 36 minutes. And the quote I saw is that the new version is right at an hour and a half. Oh, so wow. I don't know. But it's not on Netflix yeah. anymore, at least streaming. I don't right. know exactly if we got the, the, the version that DeSillo apparently likes better or not. Uh, if anybody else has knowledge about that, obviously you can let us know. Um, Craig, have you seen uh, anything else that DeSillo has directed? You know, he did Living in Oblivion, yes. which was kind of a big big deal at the time, Buscemi movie. Have you seen that one? Yeah, and I think that is the only other one that I've seen of his. Uh, and I remember liking that a lot. Of course, it came out. When was that, 94, 95? 95, yeah. 95, so uh, we were safely in our uh, film in schools, and this is a movie about young film people making films, so... Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, it was kind of perfect timing for me, but I remember, I specifically remember a great scene where we go into the minds of everyone while they're getting room tone. And that yeah. shit may, uh, had me on the floor. That was beautiful. But yeah, so I saw that one, and I've never seen see another that. one. Well, he has a movie called Delirious um, that also has Bashimi and it's got Al, uh, Allison Lohman and Michael Pitt and Elvis Costello in it as well. So there's that. Mm -hmm. And then he did the Doors documentary called When You're Strange which um, I need to check that out as well. So he's working. He's yeah. doing some TV. And uh, let's see, Box of Moonlight is another one, I think, that he's involved in. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, he's out there. Mr. DeSillo. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad he is. Mm -hmm. It was an interesting one to check out. I appreciate you bringing it to my attention. Also, DeSillo, born in North Carolina, as was Link Ray, I learned. So there you go. All the best people. All the best people. If Mr. DeSillo is listening, we'd love some closure on the windows breaking. Yes. And I would love to see this, which is from mm. the trivia on the IMDb page as well. Apparently, check this out. Maybe you saw this. Nick Cave had an idea for his first scene as Freak Storm, where he would enter a bar and order a shot of tequila, but be told by the bartender that there was no salt. So he would then grab a woman and lick her armpit. Apparently they shot it, but did not use it. I would love to see that. I think. I Nick think. Cave. Yeah. It may. Nice. I may see it and be like, I really wish I hadn't seen that. But um, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe when this gets the ultimate Criterion version, they'll include that scene. Oh, we can hope. Uh, Craig, thank you for enlightening me about this movie. Absolutely. It's uh, my pleasure. I'm glad we actually got to watch it. I feel Indeed. like a chapter has closed. On Brad Pitt's early career. And <laughs> on Brad underpants. Pitt's early career. Yes. That's right. So if you've seen the movie and you want to chime in on that, please find us online. Again, neverheardpodcast.com. We'll get you everywhere you need to go. Facebook, Twitter, etc. And we'll be back next week with another mini episode to talk about news and trailers and all that kind of fun stuff. So come check those out. Those are short and uh, kind of easy to blow through and help pass the day. Thank you, Sean. You're welcome, Craig. Thank you. We'll talk next time. Bye-bye.